Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, let me wish everybody listening to the podcast a happy Thanksgiving. The markets are, of course, closed tomorrow. We have a abbreviated session on Friday, but we did have a full session today of trading. The NASDAQ was the only index to make a new high today and finish, uh, finish positive on the day. Both the Dow and the S&P were lower. The bigger action was in the foreign exchange market. The dollar really got clobbered today. Dollar index dropping pretty sharply on the day, down just about 70 to 93 and a quarter. Uh, this is the lowest it's been since we got above 95, what I think it was last week. Gold price is up about 11 bucks, back above 1290. You know, we've had a volatile week in gold. Remember, we had that big $15, $16 rally last Friday. Then on Monday, uh, we had a huge seller right out of the gate, again, dumping a lot of gold on the market. The market tanked right away, and it was down pretty much 15 16 bucks. gave back all of Friday's gains. Yesterday was pretty quiet, and then we had the jump up again today. So we didn't quite take out Friday's high, uh, but a pretty good position right now. Gold still looks like it wants to break out. Somebody is obviously trying to stop that from happening, or some buddies don't really know who these sellers are. But I do think eventually, whatever their agenda is, the markets are going to overwhelm it. I think the catalyst today were statements coming out of the Fed. Oh, and by the way, oil prices, let me get this in. We got above $58 a barrel for the first time in over two years. Very strong oil market. And if you look at the chart there, we get above 60. I mean, that's kind of a a, a long-term moving average on a monthly chart. 62.75 was a key high from about two and a half years ago. We take that out we can have a quick move up to 80 to to $100. I mean, remember, the move down, uh, oil fell from 100 down to under 30 in about six months. Uh, and then, you know, it's been recovering slowly ever since. But if we could break through uh, decisively that, um, that the 62.75, uh, we're going to move up. I mean, I think if we get above 85 or so, we really break the long-term downtrend that began in summer of 2008 when oil was $140 a barrel. And we break that downtrend and that we're going to run into that around 85. I mean, we could be retesting the highs. I mean, nobody is talking about $140 oil again. And, you know, it's not just oil prices that are going up. It's commodities across the board, which really makes what I'm about to say even more ridiculous uh, when it comes to comments that came out today from Janet Yellen, uh, who is worried that there's not enough inflation, you know, to make a comment like that on a day when oil hits a two-year high, you know, the congressmen are talking about uh, these tax cuts and the whole idea is to stimulate the economy through deficit spending, but putting more money in people's pockets 
Well, it's not going to do any good if it goes from their pocket, you know, uh, into the into their gas tank. But and it's not just gas prices that are going up. Food prices, insurance prices really going up across the board, not just health care, medical insurance. And of course, they are deliberately if the Senate bill passes, they are deliberately jacking up insurance premiums in order to uh, get the tax cuts. But it's not just medical uh, insurance rates, property and casualty insurance going way up. Uh, because of the hurricanes and because of, I'm going to get to this topic later in the podcast, that's also going to be driving insurance costs up, uh, you know, the, the mass shootings. But, you know, if all these tax cuts disappear because the price of everything people are buying goes up, they're not going to buy more stuff. They're just going to pay more money for the stuff they're buying. People could end up spending more for less. You know, we'll see what happens. You know, we get Black Friday on uh, on this Friday. And, you know, again, I, I think other than Amazon and some of these discounters that, you know, give everything away, it's going to be another black and blue Friday because people are levered up to the hilt. They've got lots of debt. They've got low paying jobs. And the last couple of Black Fridays have been very disappointing. I know everybody's really optimistic and, you know, you've got uh, the stock market at record highs, but we'll see because a lot of these retailers are certainly not trading as if this is going to be a banner uh, spending year uh, for Americans, but who are basically shouldn't be spending anything. I mean, they should be saving everything they can, and you know th- that is what we actually need is we need more savings. But of course, all the stimulus is meant to encourage the opposite of that. But let me get back to the Fed today because I think it's Fed statements that were driving the markets today, particularly again the foreign exchange markets and 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 the precious metals market. First, we got. A, a quote from Janet Yellen early this morning in which she was talking about um, inflation and her concern was that inflation wasn't high enough. Here's an, a, an exact quote from Janet Yellen. It can be quite dangerous to allow inflation to drift down and not to achieve over time a central bank's inflation target. Dangerous? Dangerous to whom? You know, she also says that one reason it's dangerous is because inflation expectations are likely to drift down, too. So she's not only worried that inflation isn't high enough, but she's worried that people won't be worried about inflation. I mean, why is inflation being too low dangerous? I mean, first of all, it's not even negative. She's not saying that we're going to have deflation, which, you know, I don't even think is bad anyway. But she's just saying it's dangerous if we don't have enough inflation, meaning that if we have two, two and a half percent inflation, we're out of the danger zone. But if we have one and a half percent inflation, we're in this danger zone. What is so dangerous about prices not going up? I mean, this is all a bunch of nonsense that the media just accepts. Now, I'll tell you why it's dangerous and for whom it's dangerous. See, the reason the Fed wants high inflation is so the next time they cut interest rates, they can create a negative rate. Because they know that the bubble is so big that just lower interest rates are not going to do anything, right? We, we, this addict is so you know you know hyped up on 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 this sauce that you know we have to get rates negative. Low interest rates are not enough; they got to be negative. And so the Fed has got to be able to get the Fed funds rate, which they want to pull down to zero, right? They got to get that to be below the inflation rate. And they need it to be way below because let's say inflation is only 1% and they go to zero with the interest rates. Well, they have negative one. That's not enough. They might think we need negative three or negative four. 
Well, if zero is the lower bound and you want rates to be negative three, well, then you need to have inflation at 3% in order to get a negative 3% yield, unless you want to go from the absurd to the ridiculous and actually take rates negative, which would have you know major ramifications for the reserve currency to have negative interest rates. I think the Fed is still reluctant to try that, but if they have to, they'll, they'll certainly give it a shot, right? They'll, they'll use that as the Hail Mary if they got no choice, but they'd rather keep that one in their back pocket. So we're, we're, they need this room, right? They need room to be able to get interest rates to zero, but have a high enough negative rate to try to provide the stimulus that they think helps the economy. But it doesn't help the economy. This is all their nonsense. But they are willing to sacrifice American families. See, they're just, you know, casualties of war, collateral damage in, in the Fed's, you know, war and their, their ridiculous uh, uh, manipulation and, and, and their experiments. Because they're saying that we need to have higher inflation so that we can fight the next recession. Well, the next recession is going to be a lot worse if, in addition to unemployment, people are dealing with a rising cost of living. But as far as the Fed's concerned, well, that's okay, you know, because the only way we can stimulate the economy is if we make sure we sedate it uh, by causing people's standard of living or their cost of living rather to go up and their standard of living to go down. But the other danger of inflation not being high enough is probably the stock market which the Fed is also concerned about, interestingly enough, because later on in the day, we got the FOMC minutes that were released. And in addition to expressing their concern about low inflation, they're also worried about the stock market. I mean, it's about time, but listen to this. I'm just reading a quote from the minutes. In light of elevated asset valuations and low financial market volatility, several participants expressed concerns about a potential buildup of financial imbalances. They worry that a sharp reversal in asset prices could have damaging effects on the economy. I mean, you think? I mean, this is like, you know, the Frankenstein finally getting a little worried that his monster, you know, might uh, might do some damage. And he's kind of maybe warning the village people, you know, to, to look out. I mean, of course, this is a huge problem. And they're not really worried about the stock market bubble. They're just worried about air coming out of it. See, they're not saying we're worried that asset prices are too high. We're just worried that because they're too high, they may come down. But if they're too high, they should come down. And the reason they're too high is because the Fed propped them up. And so now they're saying they're worried what might happen if they go down, which is another reason they want to make sure we have inflation, because that also benefits the stock market and that they think it's going to drive earnings and it's going to help mitigate Uh, their debt, because corporations have a lot of debt, just like individuals, just like the government. That's the other reason that they're worried that there's not enough inflation, because they're counting on that inflation to wipe out debt, because no one has the, you know, the integrity to default, right? So they need to wipe it out, uh, you know, surreptitiously, and they want to do it through inflation. So that's another reason that maybe the Federal Reserve believes low inflation is, is dangerous, because we have all this debt, and we're counting on inflation to wipe it out. But of course, If you own the debt and you're owed the money, you don't want inflation. You don't want to get your asset wiped out. So it's not dangerous to you. It's just dangerous to the borrower who's counting on inflation to bail him out. Of course, a lot of people are hoping that these tax cuts are going to bail the economy out. But again, just like the rate hikes, it's going to be too little too late. Still, you know, no word on whether or not this thing is going to make it through the Senate. You know, it's the real estate lobby that is making the most noise and likely to have some changes. You know, I was reading this piece 
from the Community Home Lenders Association, again, making the standard argument that if we don't have these tax breaks, because if the bill passes, that 90% of the people are just going to take the standard deduction. And so they're not going to utilize the home mortgage deduction. They're saying without this subsidy, that real estate prices are going to go down. Well, okay, that means the subsidy is pushing real estate prices up. And you can't argue that higher real estate prices help people buy real estate. It's lower real estate prices that help people buy real estate. High real estate prices help people sell real estate. And that's exactly what the Community Home Lenders Association is trying to do. But now they have to argue that we need these tax breaks to prevent real estate prices from becoming more affordable. right? So they have to talk out of both sides of their mouths. But I thought the most interesting thing about the article is what they wanted to get into the, 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 the tax rate on pass-throughs. And part of the deal on pass-throughs is that they said that if you're a professional service company, lawyers, accountants, architects, you know, stockbrokers, money managers, you know, like me, if you're doing this kind of personal service, that the low 25% rate doesn't apply to any of your income. You just got to pay the top marginal tax rate, whatever it's going to be on all of your income. And this article argued that they should exempt real estate brokers from that, and they should allow real estate brokers to pay the lower tax. I mean, and and this is their logic. They said that uh, CHLA, the Community Home Lender Association, has called on congressional leaders to amend or clarify the bill to ensure that the pass-through treatment is afforded to independent mortgage brokers since they provide a tangible product, a mortgage loan, and are labor-intensive. I mean, a tangible product, a mortgage is intangible. I mean, how is selling a mortgage different than selling stocks or bonds or selling insurance. I mean, why should mortgage brokers be treated differently than any other broker in financial services? And to say that selling a mortgage is labor intensive, but you know, selling insurance is not labor intensive or lawyers, if you're selling your legal services, that's not labor intensive. I mean, what is it? There's no capital. It's all labor. I mean, architects, they have to design things. That's labor. Accountants, that's labor. I mean, how is selling mortgage different. It's not. The only difference is you have this powerful lobbying group that's going to say, hey, make sure that our members get this special treatment. We don't care about everybody else. We want to make sure that the people that pay us, you know, we want to make sure that they get this special tax break too. This is what's going on all over Congress. So this whole thing, who knows what they're going to pass, but it's going to be riddled with loopholes. And as I said earlier, it looks like the tax code for People that actually pay taxes, obviously, for the people who take the standard deduction, those 90 percent, maybe there will be a little simplification. But for the other 10 percent, it's it's all complication. Even if some people end up paying lower taxes, they're certainly going to have a lot more expenses. and It's going to be a lot more complicated to figure out exactly what those lower taxes actually are. Now, I wanted to talk about this lawsuit that was just filed against the casino MGM or the parent company because of the shooting, right? Uh, The mass shooting at that concert in Las Vegas. And I think there's 450 plaintiffs in this lawsuit because there were obviously there were a lot of people that were injured, uh, many more than were actually killed. So the the people, all the people who were injured are suing. And then probably uh, the surviving uh, spouse or parent or children are going to sue on behalf of the people who died, but they're suing the hotel. And I mentioned that I thought this was going to happen as soon as we had the mass shooting. And sure enough, that's exactly what's happening. But this is a very, very dangerous thing that is happening. 
And it's not that I do not feel sympathy for the 450 uh, people who were either killed or their loved ones, rather, and the people who were shot. I, of course I do. But I recognize that it's not the fault of the hotel or the shareholders or the insurance company that provided the hotel with an insurance policy. It's the fault of the shooter. Now, I understand the shooter has a $5 million estate, so certainly that estate should go to the victims. But unfortunately, it's only $5 million. There's 450 victims, so it's not going to go very far, especially when the lawyers take their cut, which is usually, what, 40% in these contingency cases. So, you know, that's not going to leave much. So, of course, they want to go to the deep pockets, which is the MGM and their insurance companies. But this is going to have profound repercussions if they are successful. Hopefully, they will not prevail. Maybe they can get this lawsuit thrown out, but it doesn't look like it will. And of course, if it goes to a jury, I mean, you know, I mean, juries can do crazy things. I've seen them do crazier things. And obviously, they're going to have a lot of sympathetic plaintiffs. You know, they're going to show all the photographs of all the people that were killed and injured, and they're going to try to blame it on the hotel and try to claim that they could have foreseen this. And well, you know, the guy got all these guns and all this ammunition. He was going back and forth, back and forth. Somebody should have noticed it. No, why would anybody notice it? Who's going to think, hey, this I, this guy's gone back and forth to his hotel room too many times? I mean, first of all, people go up and down to the hotel rooms all the time, especially in a casino. Um, but are you going to think, I mean, it's not the same person too that's on duty all the time. So you don't necessarily know how many times he left his room and came back when somebody else was watching, or maybe nobody was even watching. They're not watching these rooms uh, that carefully during the day. I mean, who's going to think, hey, you think that guy is smuggling in uh, a bunch of high-powered rifles? You think he's planning a terrorist attack? I mean, who's going to think that? Nobody's going to think that. But according to the, the, the plaintiffs, that's what they should have thought. And if a jury rules that, hey, a hotel is liable for anything that could possibly happen, not something that is likely to happen, right? Because obviously a terrorist attack is always probable. It can happen anywhere. So are we going to make everybody responsible for any kind of a terrorist attack that happens to happen on their property? Because in theory, they should have been planning for it. I mean, what is this going to do to hotels? We're going to turn them into airports, right? Checking into a hotel is going to be like trying to board an airplane. You know, how long are the lines going to be? Sometimes they're long enough. How long you'd have to wait in line because they're going to have to check all your stuff. They're going to have to take all your, your baggage through a metal detector. They're going to have to patch you down. And not just when you check in. I mean, every time you go in and out, they're going to have to screen you. They're going to have to have higher security at the elevators. I mean, how much extra is this going to cost to have all this extra security in every hotel? Right? That means they're going to have to you know, raise raise the prices of the hotels. But also, it's going to make... Going to a hotel, certainly for tourists who are thinking about coming to America, we hassle them enough when they get on an airplane. Now we're going to hassle them again when they try to check into a hotel. Um, you know, that, that's just going to cut down on the number of tourists who want to come here in the first place. So now you're going to have more uh, vacancy rates at these hotels. Uh, but And their insurance rates, even if they spend more money on security, their insurance policies are going to have to be more expensive because now the insurance companies know if anything bad happens... Uh, they're on the hook, so all this is going to is going to build into um, in, into the price. And by the way, you know, I wonder if the government, right? Because obviously, hotels or is in the CPI somewhere. What we pay to stay in hotels, and so if this 
makes the price of a hotel go up, you would assume that somehow it would affect the CPI. But my guess is knowing the government and hedonics, see, they're going to probably say, well, all this extra security makes staying at a hotel, right, so much uh, safer. And therefore, you're getting better quality when you go to a hotel because you have less chance of getting shot by a terrorist. And that improvement is going to be scored as a price cut, right? That's what they'll do. They'll use, they'll use hedonics. And it's not just going to be hotels. Right. What about um, what about stadiums? Right. Outdoor venues. This was an outdoor concert. They're also suing the concert promoter. Right. Well, now every concert they're going to have to worry about. Could there be a terrorist? I mean, you have large crowds. And I said in stadiums, you know, so what if somebody flies an airplane over a, uh, a football stadium and just drops a bomb into the crowd or just, you know, uh, it, you know, what, you know it, it, if it's a low flying prop plane, I mean, they can open up a window and shoot. Are you supposed to have a contingency for that? Are they supposed to have, you know, a way to stop that from happening? What, you know, what about like a Fenway Park? I mean, can't you just stand on a nearby building and just fire into Fenway Park? I mean, how are they going to stop that? If somebody, you know, so this is going to build and feed. And again, it's going to make the economy less competitive. We got to have, you know, personal responsibility. Not that the people who got shot are personally responsible. You know what? Sometimes bad things happen. That's just the unfortunate part of life. Sometimes something bad happens to you and it's not somebody else's fault just because they happen to own the hotel where the guy who shot you happened to check in, right? It's unfortunate when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, but we can't look for people to sue. Yes, you can sue the guy that shot you, but you can't sue the the hotel that rented him a room Unless you can really prove, yes, the guy like, you know, you know, we, he, he, he told, he, he, he said something or did something that was so overt that there was so much negligence in allowing him to bring all this stuff in there. But there's no way that you could prove that. All you could say is, well, they should have guessed this, right? They should have been able to piece it all together when there's no way that anybody really could have done it. But this is a, a very uh, dangerous uh uh, precedent. And, you know, we've been heading down this path, you know, where everybody tries to go to the, go to, go to the lawyers and just roll the dice and hit the lottery. And this is the problem. We got all these lawyers, right? We don't have loser pay. You know, we, we have more lawyers per capita than any place else in the world. I think we have 10 times as many lawyers per capita is probably the next uh, most over-lawyered uh, nation. And that is probably one of the main reasons why we're so uncompetitive, why we have uh, such a big trade deficit. I mean, rather, instead of just trying to have these trivial tax cuts, let's have some legal reform. Let's have some tort reform. Let's reduce the regulatory and legal burden on American business. That doesn't cost the Treasury anything. But of course, you know, the, the trial lawyers are a powerful lobbying group, and so that's not going to happen. But, you know, while I started thinking about the hedonics and uh, and, and the hotel costs, I was thinking about the uh, the podcast that I did on Friday about the model who sold her virginity on that website uh, for, um, what, two and a half million uh, euros. Because when I first read that story, you know, this is how I think, right? I mean, I think of everything in terms of economics and everything. So immediately I, I picked up on the fact that a year ago on the same site, there was another model who sold her virginity and, and she got uh, 2.2 a million euros. So there was a 9% increase in the price in just one year on the price of buying the virginity of a model. 
And so to me, I'm thinking, see, that's 9 percent inflation. The government says there's no inflation here. Here's real life proof. Uh, you've got this rare commodity models virginity. And, you know, one year, you know, the price has gone up by 9 percent. And then, of course, I started thinking, well, you know, but what about hedonics? Right. Isn't the government the government would come in there and they'd probably be able to show that the price didn't go up. Right. They find a way to, to say that it went down. And so I, I looked at it and I actually looked online. You can see the, the photographs of these young, young models, uh, both very pretty. But personally, I think that this year's model is is prettier than the last year. So to me, I think that there's more value there because I think she's prettier. But that's very subjective. It's all a matter of taste. I mean, there could be other people that can prefer the look of the other model. So it's hard to say. But this is the kind of subjectivity that goes into these hedonic adjustments because, you know, just because one person thinks that this model is prettier than the other doesn't mean everybody does. Right? It's all it's all about a perspective. I think that's exactly what happens when the government is trying to figure out hedonics, but they always have a bias. They have a bias to always say things are getting better. So I'm sure if the government was looking at this, the government would say definitely 100 percent this year's model is prettier, and therefore it is an improvement in quality, and so we are going to adjust the price down. But then there was another aspect of it that I thought maybe had more credibility, and that was age. Because last year's virgin was only 18, and this year's virgin is 19. And so I thought, wait a minute, you know, a 19-year-old virgin should be more valuable than an 18-year-old virgin because you had to keep your virginity for an extra year. And you would think for supply and demand, there is a smaller supply of 19-year-old virgins than there are 18-year-old virgins. So for that reason, the 19-year-old virgin would be a better deal, right? Because, you know, you, you're buying a more rare commodity, more valuable commodity, right? Although, you know, there are some people that, that like younger girls, but I think for the virginity, 19. But again, it's all subjective. But my bet would be the government would say, yep, it's a quality improvement. Now, of course, that only works so far, right? There's probably some kind of laugh or curve when it comes to virginity, right? You just can't hold on to it forever. I mean, if you're 60 and you're trying to sell your virginity, you're probably not going to get much money for it. So I don't know where the where the peak of that laugh or curve is when it comes to virginity. Maybe, maybe 25, I don't know, would be where you can get the most money for holding on the longest before you start reaching your point of uh, diminishing uh, returns. But anyway, you know, while I am on the topic of sex and virginity, I might as well go back a little bit about these um, the sexual harassment because it's even getting more out of hand, which is exactly what I said in my, my last podcast. Now, you know, I did try to um, defend Al Franken. And I don't know, maybe I was a little premature in my defense, although I didn't mean to say that, you know, his behavior is, you know, he was a perfect gentleman or maybe he wasn't out of line or, you know, you know, maybe the, 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 the woman could have slapped his face and, you know, maybe she would have been within the rights to do that. I don't know. I just said it's not sexual harassment and it's not something, you know, they're talking about trying to get the guy to resign. But since then, now there's been two more allegations. There was a woman who claimed in 2010 that when she was posing for a photograph with Al Franken, that when Al Franken put his arm around her, he put his hand on her ass. Now, you know, apparently, you know, I don't know, she said something at the time, not to Franken, but maybe to somebody else that, hey, he just, you know, he, he copped the feel or something like that. Um, but this was in 2010. It's only coming up now. But of course, this is not sex harassment. I mean, this is just a woman that he is, you know, photographed with. I mean, I do this all the time. And I'm sure Al Franken has posed for more photos with women than I have. 
But I, when I go to, you know, seminars, you know, I'm at conferences, I always get people coming up to me and they want to pose for a photo. You know, can I take a photo? And I pretty much always put my arm around the person, male or female, because, you know, people want a photo to show that, hey, they're, we're friendly, we're palling around. So I usually put my arm, it's usually, you know, around your, 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 your shoulder generally, uh, and sometimes around the waist, you know. But I always make sure, you know, I don't want to put my hand on, you know, on a girl's ass, obviously. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to do that. I don't know if you could accidentally do it. Apparently, she's claiming that, you know, his his hand cupped, you know, right around her ass. So, you know, if you're pretty much doing that, you, you know where it is and, you know, you're not accidentally, you know, putting it there. Um, but it's not sexual harassment. I mean, is it is it a crude thing? Is it, you know, yeah, you know. Now, obviously, he doesn't do it with every woman he poses for, or, you know, this would have been a much bigger thing. Although, I did see the picture. She's very pretty. So, you know, maybe he made an exception. Maybe, he, you know, and I didn't get to see her ass. Maybe it was a pretty nice one. Uh, but, you know, this is not this is not sex harassment. Maybe it is out of line. She should have said something like, hey, Frankie, get your hand off my ass. I mean, she should have called him out right then and there for what he was doing. Not, you know, wait uh, seven years later and, and call the press. And, and, and tell her about it now. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> you know, and then the other thing is Ariana Huffington. Apparently, he is there's a picture uh, with Ariana Huffington where they're laughing and he's, you know, he's copping a feel of her breast. It looks like anyway, it's hard to say. Maybe he's faking it. He's just putting his hand over his breast. Maybe that's just maybe that's something that Al Franken likes to do. Pretend he's feeling people up. He thinks that's funny. That's the comedian in him. But again, now they're like, oh, my God, this guy's got to resign. Look, all of this stuff. And am I saying that Al Franken was being a perfect gentleman? No. You know, and would I encourage my son to do that? No. But this is not sexual harassment. You don't kick a guy out of the Senate for that. Now, you know, people, if they want to factor this in when he comes for re-election, if people want to factor in his character, yeah, that, that's fair game. But, you know, when people talk about this as sexual harassment, you know, you belittle actual sexual harassment. If you, if you lump all this stuff in, and, and, and just paint it all with the same brush. I mean, we're letting Harvey Weinstein off the hook, right? This guy's an actual rapist, and he's probably happy. Every time some other guy comes out and did something, and now he's in the same category, then by comparison, he doesn't look as bad. You know, it really got ridiculous. There, the, the, one of the newer accusations is against this New York Times reporter. This guy's name is Glenn Trush. And he is accused by a couple of women of making unwanted sexual advances in a bar. And the unwanted sexual advance was he tried to kiss them. Now, I mean, again, this is ridiculous. Many times when a guy makes a sexual advance at a woman, he does not know if it's wanted or unwanted until after it is done, right? You don't know, right? You don't know for sure the woman could be sending you a signal and you think maybe she's waving you in the first base and maybe she's not, but you got to take a chance, right? That's, that's what guys do. Guys are the aggressors in a relationship. Now, this is especially true in a bar. I mean, you know, you can't claim this, you know, on, in other locations. But in a bar, most guys go to bars to meet women. I mean, that's why they're there. And women go to bars to meet men. And, you know, if a guy buys a girl a drink and they're talking and they're drinking and they're having a good time and the guy wants to lean in for a kiss because he thinks that, you know, that that's what she wants. And either he's right and he read her right and he's, you know, it was the right thing to do or she will let him know very quickly, no thanks, I'm not interested in that, right? That's what happens. So all guys are making unwanted sexual advances. Now, I know that the women in general were reporters. They were fellow reporters 
you know, so they were there maybe to meet and discuss business, right? So they were meeting him at a bar at night to discuss business. And, and so maybe they didn't, you know, he should have known that, well, it's a business meeting. And so maybe you don't try to kiss somebody at a business meeting. Look, I got to tell you something. I, I know most of the people who listen to my podcast are, are guys, but I know that I have a, an audience of women. And so let me clue you in on something. If you don't already know this, maybe your father didn't tell you this. But if a guy invites you to a business meeting at night in a bar, he doesn't want to have a business meeting. That's not why you're there. That's the pretense to get you there. He wants, and if you agree to it, if you agree to meet a guy at night in a bar, he's thinking, aha, she's into it because she's here. So if you have no interest whatsoever, no sexual interest in a guy, but you want to have a business meeting and he says, let's meet at a bar at night. Here's what you do. You say, well, you know, I can't, that doesn't really work for me. Why don't we meet at your office and throw out a time in the mid afternoon or late morning. And then if you can't, if you can't meet at the office for whatever reason, there's no office, then suggest maybe Starbucks for a cup of coffee late morning, early afternoon, right? Nobody is going to misinterpret that as a signal. But if you agree to go to a bar at night and have alcohol involved, then, you know, I'm not saying it's like, you know, you deserve to be raped because he didn't rape any of these guys. These women aren't saying he raped me. He kissed me and I didn't want him to kiss me, but he kissed me anyway. Right. And and believe me, you go to a bar and you drink with a guy, you give him those signals. You could expect that he might try to kiss you. And then you're just going to have to handle it like an adult. And it's not uh, a big a big federal case. I'm sure a lot of you saw the movie Anchorman. Right. Anchorman is a perfect example of guys, you know, asking women to go out on a date, but they're trying to get them to go using a false pretense, right? So when a reporter is inviting somebody, uh, you know, to a bar, you know, he's saying, yes, I want, I, let's talk business. I want to have a business meeting. So meet me at the bar. He doesn't really want a business meeting. So if you, if you go to that scene from Anchorman where Ron Burgundy, right, is going up to Veronica Cornerstone, he's offering to show her San Diego at night. He wants to pick her up and he wants to show her the city. You know, and she's like, oh, that's very nice of you. So it's going to be totally platonic, right? This is just like you're going to show me around as my coworker, and it's totally platonic. He's like, yep, that's exactly right. And then, of course, you know, the camera pans down. And, you know, if you don't know the scene, you haven't seen the scene, go to YouTube and just Google um, Anchorman erection scene, and you'll see the entire thing. But it's normally not that obvious, right? I mean, you know, this is a Hollywood movie, but believe me, in every guy's mind, if he is asking an attractive woman, right, to meet him in the evening, you know, at a bar or to do something that would normally be romantic, but he's saying it's not about romance, it's about business, then it's only about romance. It's never about business. And you got you to gotta set that person straight from the beginning. You know, another thing that's interesting, too, maybe he was drunk when he tried to kiss them. Now, I think, you know, you have this huge double standard when it comes to alcohol and sex, right? Because if a woman um, gets drunk, then in theory, she can't give consent. Even if she's all over you even or the guy and she totally like strips off her clothes. But apparently if she does that while she's drunk, then you can't have sex with her because it's rape uh, because she's drunk, even if you're drunk too. So somehow if the guy is drunk, it doesn't excuse his behavior. 
But if the girl is drunk, then she has no responsibility whatsoever, except if she drinks and drives, then she's responsible for anything that she does wrong. But if she drinks and has sex, then she's not responsible for anything. So there's all kinds of um, hypocrisies and double standards going around. But the bottom line is, all right, this guy tried to kiss some girls in a bar. All right, maybe he misread the signals. Maybe he was being a jerk. But should he be fired from his job? Of course not. I mean, this is all ridiculous. This is not illegal to do this. He, did, he didn't work with these people. They're not his employees. I mean, th- maybe it's an honest mistake of judgment, but you got to you know, put a little responsibility on the women for the environment in which they put themselves. And I don't even know how these women were dressed to meet him at a bar. And that would play into it. If you dress kind of sexy and you meet a guy in a bar, he might think, yeah, you know, maybe she's into me. I mean, you know, so it's not all this guy's fault. Everybody jumping out on him. Now, of course, obviously, you know, you got to put it in context. Can you make a kiss or attempt to kiss a girl in a bar, right? Because there is a natural expectation that a woman in a bar who you've been talking to may, in fact, want you to kiss them. And you won't know that until you try, right? But obviously, you can't just make that claim in all settings, right? You can't just be walking down the street and just grab a woman and kiss her. And think, well, you know, I took a shot. Maybe she wanted it. I mean, the odds of that, I mean, unless you're Brad Pitt, you just can't randomly grab a woman and kiss her and then claim that, you know, you thought that she was, you know, that she was inviting a kiss. But at a bar, following a conversation where there's drinks involved and you're flirting, you know, yes, of course, that that behavior can be excused. You know, of course, that made me think, and I put this post on my uh, on my Facebook page. I remember that famous, famous uh, photograph. It's iconic of that uh, American sailor on VJ Day, victory in Japan, if you don't remember Second World War. And there's this photograph of this sailor kissing a nurse. She's, she actually, turns out she was a dental hygienist, but she's dressed as a nurse. And it's a full-on, you know, smooch, movie star style. He's bending her over. I mean, he's really in there. I can't see if he's doing it uh, Al Franken style with any any tongue, but he didn't put his hand on her butt, right? He's just got his hand around around her waist, but it's a big kiss. And if you don't know the backstory, there are a lot of people that think that they knew each other. They didn't know each other at all. What happened was this guy was just going down Times Square, just grabbing women randomly and kissing them one after another, right? And the photographer sees this and says, hey, I got to get a photograph. And he saw the nurse in the white and she was kind of, you know, in his path. And she was, hey, this would be a great photograph if he grabs this girl because, you know, white dress, good contrast. So he waited and sure enough, he grabbed her and laid one on her and he took a photograph. They, they, you know, so obviously to, that's an unwanted sexual advance. He had no idea if this woman was going to be receptive to this kiss or not. He just went for it. Now he figured, okay, it's a celebratory environment. And that was kind of his excuse. I mean, the woman, by the way, just died last year. She was 92. Now, I joked, if she was alive today, could she sue the Navy and say, that's sexual harassment? I want to sue the Navy. Now, I know this kiss occurred better than 70 years ago, but, you know, it seems nowadays that there is no statute of limitations on unwanted sexual advances. Maybe we should posthumously, dishonorably discharge this officer because she was just, you know, uh, making these unwanted sexual advances randomly against all kinds of women. Look, there are certain environments where you're allowed to, to do that. Right. What about a New Year's Eve party? Right. It's New Year's 12 o'clock. Right. They start, you know, the ball comes down, making noise. What do you do on New Year's? You give somebody a kiss. How many times have I been to New Year's Eve party when I was single and I just kissed a woman next to me? 
right? I mean, that's one of the reasons I always like going to New Year's Eve party because you got, you know, you could kiss people. I mean, and it was acceptable because that's a tradition on New Year's. And, you know, you can find out how much they like to kiss depending on how they kiss you back. But, you know, this is something that happens. And if somebody gonna, now they're going to have lawsuits. I was at a New Year's Eve party. This guy came up to me and kissed me. It was an unwanted sexual advance. And now what, that, that's uh, some kind of sexual assault? I mean, how many guys have kissed girls at New Year's Eve parties? Now what, are they all going to come out of the woodwork? I mean, I can imagine, you know, these groupies, right? These um, uh, rock, rock star groupies, right? They go, they go uh, backstage after a concert. Can you imagine one of those girls goes backstage at a concert and then she gets back there and some rock star starts kissing her. And now she's going to say, well, I didn't want that. You know, I mean, that. what is the context, right? I mean, everybody knows what these groupies are there for. And you go back there. Now, if you don't want it, yes, you, you, you can slap the guy's face. You can push him away. You can say, hey, I don't want to do that. But you cannot hold it against the guy for trying, right? That, that is, you know, that is what men do, especially in those circumstances. Yes, in general, you can't just run up to a woman and kiss them. And yes, you can't kiss your coworkers, right? Or you can't, certainly you can't kiss your subordinates, right? So it, you can't grab your secretary and kiss her, right? You, and if you're in the, the military, you can't, you know, an officer, you can't grab some enlisted man. So that is different. But when you have, you know, a reporter kissing another reporter in a bar, it's not sexual assault. It's not sexual harassment. It's just a guy making a pass at a woman. And maybe the pass doesn't connect. Maybe, you know, maybe, you know, but you got to throw a lot of passes. That is the problem, right? A lot of women don't seem to get when it comes to guys, right? For them, a lot of, it's a numbers game, right? The guy has to make the first move, despite all the women's lib. And a lot of times it's tough for the guy. The guy doesn't know if the girl wants to be kissed or not. And it's not like you just ask, oh, can I kiss you? Because a lot of girls don't want to be asked. That makes you look like a nerd, right? Girls want Rhett Butler. When Rhett Butler kissed Scarlett O'Hara, he didn't ask for permission.